the vision I have in my mind is, have you decided they need a drink of water? And therefore, you're going to lead them to the river and actually dip their nose into the water. That's not coaching. You're listening to the Building a Coaching Culture podcast. If you need to compete and win in the 21st century labor market as an employer of choice, this podcast is for you. Each week, we share leadership development, coaching, and culture development insights from leading experts who are developing world-class cultures in their own organizations. And now, here's your host, J.R. Flatter. Hey, welcome back, everybody. J.R. Flatter here with my co-host, Lucas. Hello. Getting close to Christmas time where we are. And we're here to talk about building a coaching culture. And just to remind everybody, our audience are leaders of complex organizations trying to compete and succeed in the 21st century labor market. And today we're going to focus on coaching and where does that coaching take place. And one of the metaphors we use is talking about the room. So I just wanted to spend a few minutes describing what we mean by that. So I'm not sure how this started, but we just started talking about the room. When I think about being in a coaching session or a coaching relationship, I always think about being in the room with that person. A lot of the coaching we do is virtual nowadays. And you know, people ask me all the time, can you do coaching? Can you train virtually? And is it powerful? I think it is. Got really positive feedback. We just taught a four-day boot camp last weekend, 30 hours, fundamentals of coaching, people all over the world, life-changing coaching accreditation took place. So yeah, even though it's in a virtual environment, you know, we're well into the 21st century and it's pretty accepted, but also it remains pretty powerful. So I imagine I'm in this room with just the leader that I'm coaching. It's well lit, it's quiet, there are no distractions cell phones off, computer screens are off, just me and the coach, the only ones in the room. And this is where the coaching relationship starts. It's where it grows, where trust and safety is created. And perhaps after some number of sessions or as we reach some milestone and the leader agrees, we can end the coaching relationship. I find most of my coaching relationships don't actually end in a formal way. We agree to come together at some period of time, quarterly, semi-annually. And for me, this the reason it's important to have this room is that coaching has boundaries. And how do I and how does the leader envision those boundaries? And for me, it's the walls of the room. It's the door that we open and close to come in and go out. There might be some windows so you can have the natural sunlight. Might not be, but it bounds who or what's in the room, what might be introduced and actually what can be disinvited. Some of the coaches that we work with, they prefer a different metaphor, and that's great. One person, probably from the United Kingdom, uses the metaphor of her garden, which in the United Kingdom means their yard. I'm great with that as long as it's a walled garden that I can control, she can control what comes in, what goes out, perhaps a little bit of furniture, a table, some chairs, in a whiteboard, or however you're going to capture in a race and the challenges that come into the room and that we're solving or discovering. I'll pause there. What, what are your thoughts when you think about where do you coach? Yeah, I'm generally virtual, like we mentioned at the beginning. And and I think 
talking about it this way um it's almost necessary more necessary virtually because you know it is a metaphor and so we're starting to introduce the concepts of you know having boundaries and what are we doing here versus what are you going to do in the outside world so having that conversation around like okay what space are we making for each other to coach i think that's really valuable and especially for virtual environments you've given me another vision and that is we talk a lot about building a house of leadership we talk a lot about what's your vision and where do you want to be 30 years from now and i'm just beginning to envision where does my mind go when i think about 30 years from now i'm still in the coaching room but i'm somewhere entirely different. So this ability and willingness to envision being in a place or going to another place is probably an important part of coaching. Yeah, I didn't think about it that way. Yeah, like introducing the concept of like vision in in that small way. That's cool. Mm -hmm. So first and foremost, in a coaching relationship, the leader you're coaching is in charge. And for a lot of us who's been leading for a long time, for many of us who are new to coaching, that concept is a bit foreign in many ways. And so I think it's important as you start a coaching relationship, or even if you're using coaching as your style of leadership and you're engaging in a coaching session with someone in your world, to explicitly describe the rules of the coaching room. And the number one rule, the leader decides who and what enters the room. So you and I as coaches are responsible for the arc of the coaching relationship however long it might be, just have a new set of clients brought to us by a federal government agency. There are year-long coaching relationships. And so every other week for 26 sessions, and that ends up being a year, very close to it. Explicitly at the beginning of each relationship, describe this room and that they're in charge. And some of them are not supervisors. They're not formally leaders in many ways, that's a foreign thought to them initially, and they wonder what that's going to look like. But when we're coaching, we're seeking self-discovery from the leader we're coaching and ownership of that self-discovery. And the way that happens is they're in charge of the sessions. They're in charge of what we talk about and don't talk about. Now, I, as their coach, am responsible for the arc of our relationship. And so at times, if they've described challenges that they've also decided to table, either explicitly by saying so or implicitly by not bringing them up. At some point in our relationship, I'll bring those things back into the room, but with their permission and their permission only. So what comes in the room? At the beginning of each session, the chalkboard is blank, the table's blank, and we walk into an empty room and they decide what comes in. They decide at any moment during the arc of a session what's going to be tabled. And they decide if it remains on the table, what can be removed from the room altogether. So at the beginning of a session or the beginning of our relationship, they may have said, here are three big things I want to accomplish and I want us to work on. And then choose not to bring those into the room. That's their choice. As the coach and responsible for the arc of the relationship, I'm going to eventually reintroduce those ideas but with their permission. It's kind of tongue-in-cheek, but rule two of the room is see rule one. The leader's in charge. What are your thoughts? It helps me think about the boundaries that are inherent in coaching where I'm not going to introduce a concept or talk about a person that's not here because mm -hmm. it should be all coming from the coach. So like, if I'm talking about 
somebody that they haven't mentioned yet like i'm kind of imposing my imagination and you know like forming like forming the basis for our conversation and and like we talked about in our neuro episode you know like their perspective and my perspective like neither of them are a hundred percent based on reality but in this particular room it's based on their reality and not mine you know yeah that's a great point their reality their house of leadership in our role oftentimes is objectively observing that and saying did you notice these two things might be related to one another and being that objective observer and i guess it'll help us the more vivid that reality is like the more details we can get from them the more we're able to make those connections and observations yeah so as the coach what might we introduce into the room one of the things that we teach and strongly recommend is a coaching agreement for me the coaching agreement is a conversation that takes place pre-coaching some coaches included in the continuum of their coaching no rights or wrongs i like to be very explicit about separating the two because when I'm talking about the coaching agreement with a potential leader that I'm potentially going to coach, I'm not a coach. I might be a businessman. I might be even a bit of a mentor at that point. So that's why I keep it pre-coaching. But once we're in the room, it becomes part of the arc of the relationship. And if there were things and projects and tasks associated that, that were identified in the agreement and the boundaries, as you said a moment ago, what is coaching and what isn't it? If something comes in the room that is not coaching, I'm not going to stop coaching unless it's immediately life-threatening or harmful, but I'm going to bring it into the room. Like, do you remember in our coaching room, we described where some of these boundaries might present themselves. And I think we've either come to one or are approaching one. But always asking permission. You'll hear me say that several times in this session, but also several times in any coaching relationship I'm in constantly asking permission because I'm not in charge. And also the competencies, ethics, and core values of coaching. So you and I align ourselves to the International Coaching Federation, and there are eight core competencies that we bring into the room with us. I'm very explicit about them, talking about them. There are 40 plus sub-competencies within those eight competencies, talking about them. The ethics, the ethics of the practice of coaching, the ethics of ICF, take a second, put my professor hat on and say there's a big difference between morality and ethics. Ethics is the organization. Morality is me. I don't bring my own morality into the room. It might be something we talk about in pre-coaching that particular coaches might have boundaries of their willingness and ability to coach, legal boundaries, moral boundaries. But once we're in that room, the ethics of the ICF are what matter. And the morality of the leader I'm coaching. Where are their boundaries? Where are their moral boundaries? Those are certainly relevant. And the core values, the core values of coaching, core values of the leader's organization, wherever they might come from, whether it be a government agency, a not-for-profit business, a for-profit business. Those are things that I regularly bring into the room with permission. I like this concept of, you know, bringing ICF you know, ideas into the room because you can kind of say like, this isn't coming from me. Like this isn't me imposing my, you know, my opinions in the room. It's me using this framework that we've agreed that, you know, you know what ICF is. I know what ICF is. And it's kind of like a 
common language to speak and it kind of takes your ego out of it like you mentioned it's not your idea of like what's right and wrong it's icf and it can kind of start form the basis for like more complicated conversations you know yeah in every class we teach one of the slides in the deck is the core values the ethics the core competencies every deck every session that we teach and in our approach template which we have in every deck it lists those things and so it's very clear to everyone whether they're learning from us or coaching with us what those core values competencies are ethics i think like the coaching agreement also um it can be kind of confusing if somebody is not that much aware of coaching like having the conversation in like session 1 sure versus like oh we had a preliminary talk and you you know what to expect and it can kind of get muddled if you leave it for like if you don't define that beforehand yeah absolutely i think you and i just put a recording session on the calendar to record an introduction to coaching for potential leaders that are coming into our coaching world we do a lot of sponsored coaching, and one of the sponsors has asked for an introduction to coaching from us. So a couple of other things that I feel comfortable introducing into the room, again, with permission, hypotheses and tools. And I apologize for the second time in five minutes. I'm going to put my professor hat on. There's a big difference between a hypothesis and a theory. A lot of people mistake what is a hypothesis with a theory. A theory is demonstrated, proven, and repeatable. A hypothesis is a fancy way of saying an educated guess. So we're always listening, you and I as coaches. We're thinking about where the conversation's going, where the arc of the relationship is going and has been, and coming up with our next powerful question as coaches. And in a formal way, that's called a hypothesis. It's, an, it's a guess as to what the next best question is, given the relationship, given the session, given the core competencies, ethics, values, all of those things. And so we ask and we bring it into the room. If we think it's going to be potentially provocative, then we might ask permission prior to. So you and I as coaches are also always measuring the trust and safety in the room. And in the early sessions, there's not a lot there, but it grows over time and usually relatively quickly. And so we can ask more and more provocative questions. But regardless, if you think it's going to be provocative, ask permission and then bring the question into the room. If it's not supported, it doesn't mean it was wrong. Now you've discovered that's not what your leader was thinking. And you go, you pivot with them. And the next powerful question you ask is informed by that response. And then tools. We teach a lot of different tools in coaching. The room is a tool. It's a metaphor that we use, but it, it's a tool in coaching. And it's not advice and it's not violating the fundamentals of coaching, to bring that tool into the room, usually and almost always with permission. I'll give you an example. The drama triangle, Cartman's drama triangle, that talks about a rescuer, a persecutor, or a victim, and potentially the leader you're coaching or someone they've brought into the room is at one of those three corners. They're a persecutor. They're persecuting people in their conversations and their actions. They're victims. They're acting as a victim, either verbally or virtually, or they're a rescuer. They're constantly running to the rescue. And so I just recently, as yesterday at, at our live coach training session, brought Cartman's drama triangle into the room as a tool. One of the members of the cohort was talking about a particular situation in their life. And I said, you know, this reminds me of Cartman's drama triangle. 
would you mind if I bring it in? Which is what I would do in any coaching session with any tool. I know, you'll know whether or not you're hiding advice in that introduction, whether you're guiding the leader towards a specific outcome, or if you're introducing it in good faith as a coach into the session. What are your thoughts when you see these two hypotheses and tools? Yeah, I mean, there's a big difference between saying, you know, you're you're the rescuer from the Cartman Triangle. There's a difference between saying that and saying, oh, can we talk about this mm-hmm. framework and and let's kind of like explore it and maybe they say oh i'm i'm this point of the triangle not this point and then yeah, you absolutely. can you learn from that so yeah it's easy to kind of like stumble on this and i would think about it like in the way of like a physical trainer or something like they'll say okay let's pull this like rubber band tool into the session they're not going to tell you a story about how awesome they did or like you know (laughs) i just use this on my uncle and like you know it's like no they're just gonna bring the tool in and and we're gonna try to use it together you know yeah the analogy i use the vision i have in my mind is have you decided they need a drink of water and therefore you're gonna lead them to the river and actually dip their nose into the water that's not coaching if you've decided that cartman's drama triangle might help them discover what's going on in their situation or what's going on in their world. And then you've also assured yourself you're not leading them to the river for a drink of water. Then you can introduce that tool. Time studies, what are you doing with your day and what are you doing with your week? You've brought into the room that you don't have time in your world to accomplish an important objective in your life. I might ask, where might you find white space in your world? to create that time. Nowhere. I simply don't have it. Okay. Would you mind if you started keeping track of what you are doing with your time? Maybe we'll discover something. I have an idea in my mind as a fellow human being and someone who's time challenged that there might very well be room. And if they can't find room, then we might discover it's not that important of an objective. And so that's a tool that I'm not leading them to an outcome. I'm hopefully leading them to some discovery. That's a really good distinction. It's like, how much are we giving them more information about their problem and, you know, like revealing more things that there might not be in the forefront of the issue? So versus here's the solution. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So a, a mentor might say, you know what? I did a time study and I found time. I'll bet you can do the same thing. And it might appear like a nuanced difference, but it means all the difference in the world because in the mentor, for right or wrong, I've grabbed the wheel and now I'm guiding the direction. As a coach, I'm very, very, very careful that your hands are firmly on the wheel and mine aren't. So a couple of things to purposely and with permission disinvite from the room. A lot of leaders that we coach bring ghosts into the room. You could use whatever metaphor you want. But we're coaching the leader that's in the room with us. They're in the coaching relationship with us. And so a relative, a boss, a life partner, a child that the leader brings into the room, they have that choice. But you and I, as their coach, are coaching them. And oftentimes it's a distraction from what's in their control. What are their emotions about the challenge of the situation? And so oftentimes especially if there's strong trust and safety in the room, 
I will ask to disinvite that person. Do you mind if we push this person out of the room and we focus just on you? Now, I recognize in these situations, whether I'm bringing a tool in or disinviting a ghost, requesting permission to disinvite a ghost, that they know I'm the coach. And more likely than not, they're going to say, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do it. So when I'm in my pause, one of the things you and I teach is the powerful pause. One of the things I'm doing in that pause is thinking, is this the right next move in this coaching session and in our coaching relationship? And am I guiding? Am I purposefully directing? Yeah, there's some of that, but I'll do my best not to be that person that's guiding them to a drink of water. And then secondly, unfulfilled commitments. There's a case study that we do in our training deck, our catalog of training decks. I can't learn how to speak Spanish. It's related to this idea of self-limiting perceptions and self-limiting behaviors. That's an unfulfilled commitment. If year after year after year and session after session after session, I say, I'm really going to practice my Spanish this week. And you see that again and again as my coach, you might eventually say, you know, we've talked about this several times, but we haven't ever gotten any closer. Is it really that important? Not a judgment, just an observation. It could be anything, exercise, losing weight, fixing a relationship with someone. If you mention it again and again, or you just mention it once, maybe even in the coaching agreement, and then several sessions later, it hasn't come back into the room, that's an unfulfilled commitment. And as your accountability partner, I'm going to suggest perhaps we disinvite it. What are your thoughts on these two? So I was thinking like um, for the first one, um, when you have somebody that the client is bringing up or, or, you know, the leader is bringing up repeatedly, you might even like in the background, you're thinking like, okay, like this is more about you than that person. So I'm going to coach you from that angle. But what the question in like asking can we explicitly move on? You know, can we explicitly disinvite this person? Revealing, oh, this is the coaching strategy that I'm taking and you're making it more transparent to the leader. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to ignore this person, whether, you know, whether we agree on this or not, but it's kind of like, you know, I'm setting up the expectation for you. Oh, don't get offended by what I'm going to say. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. you can't control if the other person's going to get offended. You just want to get them ready. <laughs> like, yeah. But yeah, like in terms of like, yeah, like commitments, if we are that accountability partner and that goes back to like the ICF and the coaching agreement, are we really trying to solve this problem or should we try to solve another problem because, you know, we're not making progress? Yeah. I mean, you and I are responsible for the arc of the relationship and the arc of each session. And if we're getting towards the end of our agreed upon time together, whether it's 12 sessions across three months or 26 sessions across an entire year, whatever that is, I'm always thinking about that. And so I've just started a couple of year-long coaching relationships, and we have a lot of time, right? It's like the countdown to Christmas. The day after Christmas, you have 364 days. That's a long time, and we can move very purposefully and very slowly, building trust and safety in the room. But when we get three, four months down the road, I'm starting to think, What did we talk about when we first met? And I'm bringing that into the room. If we get six, nine months down the road in a year long and we haven't talked about it at all, it's pretty good evidence that it's not on your calendar, not on your diary, as our European friends might say. And so is it 
something that I should bring back into the room. I will, because I am your accountability partner. I'm accountable for the entire arc of our relationship. And you might quickly decide, oh, wow. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that back. Or no, it really isn't something I'd like to use our very valuable and limited time together. In a new coaching relationship, I'm always surprised how fast trust and safety grows. But I'm also very cognizant in the beginning of a relationship. It's likely not there, especially if I'm coaching in a sponsored relationship and this person's been uh, introduced to me through a third party. They might very likely be what we would call a voluntold. I've been told I need a coach. And it's our responsibility to grow that trust and safety. And the rules of the room are how we build that trust and safety. What does the leader want in the room as they start this relationship? If they bring a ghost into the room, or if they wander around several topics for the first few sessions, I'm going to let them do that. Later on in our relationship, I may very well disinvite through my coaching methods. One of the things we teach and we talk about a lot is not to bound the potential responses of the leader. And so if they've brought four items into the room, four topics, four different people, I'm going to say, which of these is at the top of your list for this session, if any? Maybe it's something entirely different. Leave that unbound. But what do they want in the room? We shouldn't bring in things we've already talked about without explicit permission. I'm a very explicit coach. And you said earlier, you know, to be more transparent, I'm a very transparent coach, I hope. So the rules, the tools, the methods, the ethics, the competencies, at some time, I don't give a lecture at, at the beginning of our relationship, but at some time, I'm going to bring those in very explicitly. And this last one I've modified in saying throughout the arc of the relationship, but especially in the beginning, what you suggest is going to be taken very seriously. One of the things you and I teach when we teach coaching is peer-to-peer regardless of age, regardless of rank, formal or informal, coaching is best done peer-to-peer. But the fact that you're a coach is never going to be lost on the leader you're coaching. And so your suggestions are going to be taken very seriously. And so we have to be mindful at all times that we're not hiding guidance. We're not hiding advice, leading them to the water. What do you think about when you're starting a new relationship with regard to what's in the room or what isn't i think for me i think a lot about like what kind of presentation i'm putting forth with myself so like for example like i don't necessarily want to spend a lot of time in the first session telling you about oh this is who i am this is my background you know i have a son i'm married like that stuff might come up like as we keep going and maybe we have a couple minutes here and there but like at first like i want you to think like my strength as a coach is because, you know, like you just mentioned, I explicitly use this skill set and, you know, this is how the relationship's going to go. I don't want to like, I don't want to have an ego and I don't want to like present myself as like, oh, this is, my personality is going to take up a lot of space here. And I don't know if there's a really easy way for me to do this, but that's what I'm thinking about in the beginning. Like, what do they think about me versus, you know, like <laughs> that image? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. That's one of the more important ideas about coaching and it being the room. I'm very explicit when we teach about, first of all, you never ask a question or rarely ever, I don't like to speak in absolutes, that the leader knows the answer to. So I wouldn't ask a coaching a question such as how old are your children? How many children do you have? 
Where do you live? Do your children live with you? Those are not discovery questions. And so the very precious time that we have together, very limited time we have together, I'm going to try very hard and in my moments of silence, in my purposeful pauses, I'm going to ask myself, is this something the leader doesn't know already? And so when you're talking about being curious about your leader, one of the sub-competencies is to be curious and to learn about the leader that you're working with. It's not curious for curious's sake. It's curious to un- help them discover. And so going back to children, age of children, a coaching question would be, what is it about the age of your children that is important to this challenge? Not how old are your kids? So with regard to the room and discovering the leader, first of all, you're following them. So is the question you're about to ask to be curious, relevant to where they're headed, what your coaching experiences tell you? And is it something they know the answer to? Yeah, and that just kind of sparked something where you think about like, what is your question actually communicating? Because even in everyday questions like, oh, do you have kids? Um, Are you married? There's landmines like, oh, do you Mm -hmm. have kids? Oh, I I did have kids. Or are you married? Oh, I'm divorced now. You know, it's like you don't know what person's journey, what they went through. So like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. They're just some of those third rail questions. Age, when's the baby due? (laughs) You just don't ask those questions, right? Yeah, whenever I see someone that I haven't seen for a long time and they're not with their life partner, I don't go there. How's fill in the blank doing these days? I just got a Christmas letter from one of our team members. And in the Christmas letter, you know, we are no longer together. I wouldn't have seen that coming in a million years. But you're right. In our coaching, if we ask that question and it's not relevant, so it's backward looking discovery for discovery's sake on our behalf, and then they're no longer together, that's going to break trust and safety. Yeah, be very careful. I'm not a lawyer. I don't even know what, what it would like to be a lawyer, but I know that there are rules of evidence in trials and there are rules of the room and who can introduce what. All right, finally, established coaching engagements when you have that trust and safety. Even when you do, be vigilant. You'll know and only you'll know. Or if it is that transparent that the leader discovers it, you're going to destroy the trust and safety that you've built. If they see you guiding them, We do a lot of mentor coaching and in the mentor coaching relationship, there are two practice final sessions and one final session where we say and affirm to the International Coaching Federation, you're good to go. One of the ways I know that you're guiding is if you ask rapid fire questions and especially in a series, grab the reins, move it in direction, get to the river. I know you're guiding them to a drink of water. We need to be very, very mindful of not doing that. And we talked about a few times already, but in closing here, I wanted to just bring it up again. You're responsible for the arc of the session. So if it's a 50-minute session, I'm not watching the clock, and I hope my leader isn't watching the clock. But I know that time is limited, and so I'm going to coach the arc of the session. But I'm also going to coach the arc of the relationship. Have we talked about short-term challenges? Have we talked about some midterm challenges? And have we talked about those long-term life goals? What do you think about as you, you know, you're in the middle of a relationship and you have strong trust and safety? How do things change for you? 
sometimes especially i've coached people that are you know like training to be coaches and in in the field and sometimes as you get more comfortable with someone they'll get more comfortable saying okay um would you want to mentor me or give me advice now or and it's kind of like a wink and a nod kind of thing but but like you said you know be vigilant it's like if you're taking somebody out on the racetrack and you're the professional driver and they say can we go faster and you have to be the professional <laughs> you know oh, we're not going to do that we're not going to do something that's not safe or you know not in your best interest yeah for me um as a coach but as a trainer of coaches i tell people don't try to hybrid this don't try to play three or four roles in the same relationship if you're a coach, you're a coach. If you're a mentor, you're a mentor. And trying to hybrid those two, the second you take your coaching hat off and you put your mentor hat on or your professor hat, whatever other hat you have, it breaks some trust and safety, whether it's ever talked about at all. Because you've either provided an off-ramp to the leader to say at any moment, I could just ask for advice and Lucas is going to give it to me. And or you've broken that bond that you've had as a coach. So when people ask me for advice in a coaching situation, if I have strong trust and safety in the room, I'm like, mm, you know better than that. You know I'm not going to do that. Less provocatively, maybe earlier in a relationship, yeah, I'm a coach. And you know as a coach, I don't like to give advice because I'm trying to help you discover who in your world might be the right person to ask for that advice. And you know, leave the, the challenge to them, leave their hands on the wheel. A lot of people are in their coaching world, in their coaching journeys, try to hybrid, and we just advocate, please don't do that. Yeah, if you're willing to break one boundary, it's like, okay, what is? What are you going to do next? No matter how small or, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It goes back to the, the ethics. Are you acting in a professional manner? The competencies ask us to be in a coaching mindset. And the coaching mindset is, I don't hybrid this. I'm a coach or I'm not. Any closing thoughts? as we finish up this session? It does a lot to make me think about, you know, I mean, we keep saying over and over the boundaries, but just being able to define those and be more transparent, be more explicit, and not have to kind of wander around in, in the dark. Like, let's describe these things so that we all know what we're talking about. Yeah, I agree. And you remind me, uh, these boundaries are always going to present themselves. We're very explicit in the beginning in the agreement phase, and then reminding throughout the relationship, there are boundaries. Any requirement of you that would require a certification or a license other than a coach is a boundary. Coaches look forward and grow. Therapists and others look backward and heal. If you're looking backward, you're probably not coaching. So a question such as, what in your history have you demonstrated that you can get past something of this nature. For me, that's looking backward. If I were to ask a question like that in the coaching room, I would say, and I, pro I probably wouldn't, what experience do you have that might inform the solution? Even for me, that's a little bit too much looking backward. But those limits are always going to present themselves. I was coaching someone, and we were in the middle of the arc of our relationship, and she brought into the room, I've just decided I'm going to leave my husband of 17 years. Obviously, I'm not a marriage counselor. I'm not a divorce lawyer. But that boundary presented itself. So my next question is, 
what resources might you have available to you to, to help you through this challenge, but to continue to coach her. So in the rarest of circumstances, will I stop, stop, let's leave the coaching room and get you to the lawyer's door or the therapist's door or your clergy's door. So A, I don't look for these boundaries. I'm always aware they might introduce themselves, but I'm not searching for that needle in the haystack. And secondly, almost always I'll continue to coach unless it's immediately life-threatening or harmful. All right, my friend. All right. Thanks for this. I think it was a good session and we'll talk to you soon. Well, that concludes this episode of Building a Coaching Culture. I truly hope that this episode was helpful to you. If it was, be sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. Maybe stop and give us a rating or review and share this podcast with someone who might find it helpful as well. Thanks again and we'll see you next time.